0: This week in politics, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that the Justice Department is going to crack down on leakers. Now, the, the, the catalyst for this uh, new, very public announcement was, of course, leaks of transcripts between President Trump and phone calls that he had at the beginning of his administration with foreign leaders and prime ministers from Mexico and Australia. Many Democrats and even independents agree that presidents need to be able to have some private conversations out of the public eye, You know even if these leaks look bad for Trump, uh, which they certainly do, but it's important for a president to be able to get things done in their own way, especially when it comes to making some agreements with foreign leaders. And the conversations and relationships that are built up over these phone calls are important to have out of the public eye. Sometimes a politician needs to be able to say things that they wouldn't say in public in order to push the ball forward on different policy concerns that you know affect all of us and affect other nations and things like that. So in honor of Jeff Sessions saying that he's going to crack down on leakers in conjunction with Scaramucci thinking that publicly available information, uh, you know, going to the press counts as a leak. Scaramucci's out now, by the way. It only took him 10 days. Uh, uh, We're going to do a clip show here on Politics Explained. I hope you enjoy clips because uh, they've already been released and they haven't been called leaks. So I'm not going to be under federal investigation. I'm Ian Shapiro. If you're somebody like me and you follow politics almost religiously, I would still absolve you of your sins if you did not understand 100% of what went down on the Senate floor and what led up to it yesterday, or I guess today, very early in the morning. Essentially, here's what happened. After weeks, even months of consideration, writing, CBO scores, backlash from the public and the media about the Republicans' repeal and replacement plan, Mitch McConnell was able to get the motion to proceed to pass, basically under a few conditions. Number one, he needed John McCain to come back from essentially being diagnosed with brain cancer in order to cast a vote to proceed to even begin talking about amendments and legislative language. Following a motion to proceed, we saw a vote-arama, which was essentially the senators in the United States voting on every different type of repeal that we've seen so far: repeal and replace, just repeal, house bills senate bill and also the skinny healthcare bill which was the last vote we had early this morning the truly crazy part and i i say crazy i wouldn't use the word crazy lightly the truly crazy insane wackadoodle part of this entire process was that for many senators Their condition for voting on any of these bills was the condition that the bill would not become law. That's right, they said they would only vote to pass these different versions of the Senate bill as long as they were assured that this version would not be immediately passed by the House of Representatives and Paul Ryan and then go to President Trump's desk to be immediately signed without a second thought. That's right, I'll say it one more time because that's just how insane and crazy it is. Many Republican senators said, I will only vote for the bill if you pinky promise me that it will not become law that is what I want. At the end of the evening, the vote was 49 to 51, with all types of repeal and replacement being failures, at least for now. The GOP has plans to bring healthcare back onto the calendar in the future. This is according to Republicans who have been interviewed on the Hill after the vote. You're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro hey ian i just had a quick question for you um right now i was thinking about the the number of people in the senate and right now i think we have 52 republicans um and you know the rest are democrats and and independents i was just wondering what's the biggest uh like discrepancy we've ever had in the senate like was there a time when there were 90 republicans and or you know or some uh, political party um just wondering if it's like a big deal that there's 52 to, you know, to 48 right now, or if that's pretty typical and it just kind of goes back and forth. Thanks so much. Just wondering. So if we observe control of the House and the Senate bipartisanship over the last 67 years, you do see some patterns emerge. For instance, in the House of Representatives, we see that from about 1955 to the 1994 elections, the Democratic Party had an iron grip over the House of Representatives. This was, you know, a, a big moment in 1994 when New Gingrich and the Republicans' contract with America was able to finally swing the House out of the Democratic Party's control. A lot of individuals also look at this as the beginning of conditional party government and where partisanship among elites really began to take off. But that's the House of Representatives, and Maya's question was also about the Senate. What kind of proportions have we been juggling? Is it always 48 to 52, with a vice president almost always around to cast a deciding vote? Or have we had kind of like landslide majorities, so to speak? Or filibuster-proof majorities? And the honest answer is, well, all of the above since the 1950s to present day we've had everything from you know 67 of one party and only 33 of the other party honestly having a two-thirds majority of the senate to having years like after the 2000 presidential election where the senate was basically split down the middle 50 50 republican democrat The only real trend over, you know, tightness versus landslidiness of uh, the composition of the Senate that I can say from just looking at observational data is that there is usually more than a two-person lead on one side or the other. And so you could call this a very narrow majority for the Republican Party here now in 2017. Thanks for the question, Maya. Under the Affordable Care Act, insurance companies are required by law to provide discounts for people with low income in order that they may buy healthcare insurance through the public exchanges. The federal money that goes to insurers to help them pay for these discounts are known as cost-sharing Reductions, and they essentially offset the money insurers would lose by lowering the deductibles, co-payments, and premiums that they give to these low-income policyholders. In t- in a series of tweets over the weekend, Donald Trump showed his frustration with the Republican Party and Congress at large. In their inability to repeal and replace Obamacare by essentially threatening to withhold these cost-sharing reduction funds from insurance companies. This is just one step that the Trump administration can take in order to generate a self-fulfilling prophecy of an insurance market death spiral. Because when you withhold cost-sharing reductions, that means that insurance companies will raise their premiums, that means that healthy individuals are going to be less likely Likely to pay into the system and that means that you're going to have a bunch of older sick people in the system and insurance is unsustainable when that is the case. Thus, a death spiral will occur. Donald Trump has said on numerous occasions that he wants to let Obamacare implode. However, most research on the law and health experts suggest that it's unlikely that a death spiral will be likely unless the Trump administration does something to pull the carpet out from under the law. For more on the future of American healthcare, I'm Ian Shapiro, you're listening to Politics Explained. Under the Affordable Care Act, insurance companies are required by law to provide discounts for people with low income in order that they may buy health care insurance through the public exchanges. The federal money that goes to insurers to help them pay for these discounts are known as cost-sharing Reductions, and they essentially offset the money insurers would lose by lowering the deductibles, co-payments, and premiums that they give to these low-income policyholders. In t- in a series of tweets over the weekend, Donald Trump showed his frustration with the Republican Party and Congress at large their inability to repeal and replace Obamacare by essentially threatening to withhold these cost-sharing reduction funds from insurance companies. This is just one step that the Trump administration can take in order to generate a self-fulfilling prophecy of an insurance market death spiral. Because when you withhold cost-sharing reductions, that means that insurance companies will raise their premiums, that means that healthy individuals are going to be less likely to pay into the system and that means that you're going to have a bunch of older sick people in the system and insurance is unsustainable when that is the case. Thus a death spiral will occur. Donald Trump has said on numerous occasions that he wants to let Obamacare implode. However, most research on the law and health experts suggest that it's unlikely that a death spiral will be likely unless the Trump administration does something to pull the carpet out from under the law. For more on the future of American healthcare, I'm Ian Shapiro, you're listening to Politics Explained.